Welcome to Cybersecurity Growth, a show for aspiring and existing cybersecurity leaders. I'm your host, Sean Valley, Executive Director and CISO of Cybersecurity Growth, former Chief Security Officer of Rapid7 and former CISO of Tricentis. I'm also a musician here on Twitch and elsewhere under the name Music by SV, but more on that later. Welcome to episode number four, Zero Trust. Want to give a shout out to our new Twitch followers since the last time we were together. Uh, Zach by default, zero one, thank you for the follow. Mabo Demore, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, thank you for the follow. T Punch TV, thank you for that follow. And Aerostrato007, thank you for that follow. And just in the last hour, J Crispy. J Crispy, thank you for that follow. Appreciate y'all being here. Whether you're here live or another time, thank you. Uh, hey, who am I wearing today? I know that's uh, that's the question of the week, of every week. Who am I wearing today? Today I am wearing Metasploit by Rapid7. It actually has the Rapid7 logo here. Metasploit by Rapid7 is what I'm wearing today. And on the back it says, I think it was, I think it says, uh, I was not made by one user or something like that. Something like that. I turn around, but I don't feel like it turning around. Oh, so let's see. What's going on? Uh, it looks like much of the U.S. and Canada is becoming a frozen tundra. Um, negative degrees Fahrenheit in places where it shouldn't be. Nasty wind chills. Uh, as I was just getting started, the wind outside of uh, the building that I am in um, is a wind that I am not familiar with. It is a cold, very bitter, cold, strong wind. Uh, there's nasty wind chills all over the place. I know... Much of the Northeast, um, U.S. and Canada, uh, very cold. Uh, wind chills into the negatives. Uh, I know in my area, wind chills today, or, or the temperatures today, will be getting negative, uh, below zero Fahrenheit, um, and the wind chills will be getting into the double digits. I have some friends who are in the Ontario area this week and weekend, and uh, they are expecting wind chills of negative 50, negative 50 degrees in Ontario with the wind chills. Uh, there's some uh, winter fests that happen every year, and uh, parts of that were canceled uh, because of the wind chills. So hey, stay warm, stay safe, friends. Uh, update from last week where I was talking about updates at home. Um, hopefully I shored up my leaking basement from last week. Hopefully. Um, with some um, cement patching that was done. And uh, I'll keep an eye on it. We haven't had any water or snow or rain in the last few days to really test it. So things are dry at the moment. Fingers crossed. It's all done. Uh, I realized this week that hanging a wall-mounted uh, clothes drying rack is not my strength. Uh, and I needed to call in the reinforcements to get it done, just to hang that uh, clothes drying rack. It's not, it's not a freestanding one, it's like a wall-mounted one. Um, it is a reminder to me that we were each put on this earth for a purpose. <laughs> and, uh, hanging clothes drying racks was not my purpose. Um, what else? Uh, oh, I got out to a concert last night. Uh, I'll talk more about that later in our music section. Um, was happy to get out of the house. So the way the show works is we uh, we do basically three sections here. We talk about some top news stories of the week. I try to pick out some news stories that I think would be relevant to our audience. And then um, 
we dive into the topic of the week, which I call Death by Slides. Our topic this week is Zero Trust, a brief overview. We'll dive deep into a presentation uh, while I share some of the details there. More on that when we get to it. And then we wrap things up with the What You Listening To section. Um, and uh, my close friends know that I cannot go a single conversation without having some conversation around music. And uh, so I just reserve a section there to talk about what I'm listening to. And if you are in chat, I'd love to hear what you're listening to this week. Uh, and so we'll talk about that uh, later on in the show. Uh, for our friends who are live uh, on the Twitch live stream, please, you are welcome to participate by joining in on the chat. I will take breaks from time to time to take a look at the chat and uh, see where I can include a conversation over there or questions you might have. So thank you for joining. And then we'll wrap it up. Usually the show has been taking about 90 minutes uh, since I started it a few weeks back. Uh, we'll see how it goes today uh, with a new topic that I just finished whipping up within the last hour. So my friends, let's get started with the top news stories of the week. Starting today, the first uh, story of the week comes from Network World. Uh, Maria Korolov over at Network World. And the article is titled... NTT Palo Alto partner for managed SASE with IO ops. I almost skipped this when I looked at the article, but then I thought of a reason why I wanted to talk about it and why I thought it might be relevant to our audience. So the um, subtitle says using a managed services provider to deliver SASE can streamline deploy uh, deployment and free up enterprise resources okie dokie so again i was like uh and then i read the first couple paragraphs and then i saw some value here for me and maybe for you as well so maria writes a new offering from it services provider ntt combines palo alto networks prisma sassy and offering with ntt's managed network services and io ops infrastructure before I read on, I will note a couple things. I personally have never used uh, any services or products from NTT. Same thing from Palo Alto as well. I'm familiar with what Palo Alto brings to the table. I'm familiar with Palo Alto Prisma being their cloud security uh, solution. And it's a it's a, a top player in the market, but I haven't used it. So I haven't used either NTT or Palo Alto stuff before. So continuing on with what Maria wrote, uh, Sassy also known as Secure Access Service Edge, has been gaining interest for its potential to reduce networking complexity while improving security. It, com it combines SD-WAN with security services, including Secure Web Access Gateway, Cloud Access Security Broker, or some people are just calling it CASB, and Zero Trust Network Access, and Firewall as a Service in a single cloud-delivered service model. That is the reason I added this. Uh, I hear people talking about SASE a lot lately, and generally when I hear someone say it, I go, I don't know what that is. I actually don't know what that acronym is. Because I remember the first time I heard someone say SASE, and I was picturing S, capital A, S, little a, little a, capital S, SAS, software as a service. And when I heard SASE pronounced, it made me think of a joke that some former colleagues and I used to say talking about a very specific um, cloud SaaS product company. And we would just call the company SASE, but we would throw a Y at the end of S-A-A-S. Once I heard people talking about S-A-S-E, SASE, 
and then I saw written in this article, I thought, I might want to read about this because I don't know what this thing is. So uh, a combination of of WAN security services, uh, web access gateway, so okay, like um, like an open DNS or Cisco umbrella type of a thing is coming to mind. Um, cloud access security broker, so um, a tool that's monitoring um, access for your SaaS products in your enterprise, and then zero trust, and then firewall as a service, so a software-based firewall. I'm into a single solution. Oh, cool. I might be more interested in this. All right, so Maria continues on by saying the benefits of using an MSP or managed service provider for SASE include having a single source for setup and management, gaining access to skills that an enterprise might not have in-house and flexible financing models. Okay, so now I'm starting to get the why this is written and I'm also starting to get why I might want to look into SASE if I've got a small organization or an organization that doesn't have strong cloud or strong SaaS security, or we're in, we're transforming, moving things to the cloud, moving things to um, SaaS. Okay, interesting. So that's why I posted it. I actually was curious to learn a little bit more about SASE. Um, there is a much more detailed article over at Network World. I can bring it up so we can take a quick peek at it here. Here's here's the article, and I'll have the link to this in. Uh, the show notes as well. So thank you, Maria, for that article, educating me and us, maybe us, uh, on SASE. Very, very good stuff. Okay, moving back. One more article of the week I thought was interesting. This one comes from uh, Lucian Constantine over at CSO Online. Uh, the article is titled, Hackers Abuse Legitimate Remote Monitoring and Managed Management Tools in Attacks. Oh, okay. Um, hackers abuse legitimate remote monitoring and management tools and attacks. All right, and the subtopic says, uh, researchers and government agencies warn that threat actors are increasing their use of commercial RMM tools to enable financial scams. So here's some of the things I pulled from the article that I thought might be interesting. Uh, Security researchers warn that an increasing number of attacks are using legitimate remote monitoring and management, RMM, legitimate remote monitoring and management tools in their attacks to achieve remote access and control over systems. These tools are commonly used by managed service providers and IT help desks, so their presence on an organization's network and systems might not arise suspicion. Okay. Uh, researchers from Cisco Talus reported this week that one particular commercial RMM tool called Synchro was observed in a third of the incident response cases the company was engaged in during the fourth quarter of 2022. However, this wasn't the only search tool used. Separately, in a joint advisory this week, the uh, CISA and the NSA uh, and the MSISAC warned about the use of RMM tools in a refund scam that targeted the employees of multiple federal agencies. So my takeaway from just reading this is um, if you are not currently being very diligent in removing remote access tools from your environments, legitimate remote access tools, legitimate, I'm not talking about nefarious tools. I mean, yes, get those nefarious tools out of here, but remote, legitimate remote access tools, if you are not being very diligent in removing them from your environment and and, and, and if you are not only explicitly allowing certain tools to be allowed in, 
by certain users on certain machines, you should start making that a priority in your strategy right now. That's kind of my takeaway um, of that. Many of us who grew up uh, in the tech space, say in the late 90s and the early 2000s, like remote access tools were, that's how you did everything. And in fact, a lot of people are still using them. Um, and uh, they've become a very popular gateway in the legitimate tools for bad people to come into your environment and do bad things. So get your arms around all remote access, start putting up some real guardrails, some real blockers, and get some a real strategy in place on disallowing the general use of remote access tools and only allowing specific tools by certain users on certain machines, maybe even at certain times. Anyways, uh, valuable article in my mind because it gets me thinking about remote access tools. Thank you, Lucian, and thank you, CSO Online. And that's the news for the week, right? Just a quick update of things that I thought are interesting. I'm going to take a quick sip of my coffee, and today I have the Advanced Cybersecurity Center coffee mug, uh, the Boston Advanced Cybersecurity Center. So it's the ACSC, and my friends in Australia would be like, we have an ACSC. Uh, so we do in Boston as well. It's a little bit smaller. Uh, so I'm going to take a sip of my coffee here, and then we're going to get started with today's Death by Slides in just a moment. Nice, fresh. A nice, fresh roast from Blue Bottle Coffee. Introduced to Blue Bottle uh, when I visited San Francisco on one of my first uh, work trips out to San Francisco, and then, and then a coworker of mine informed me by giving me a holiday present that uh, you could have Blue Bottle coffee delivered right to your door, and the stuff's tasty. I like it a lot. No creams, no sugars, just coffee. Okay. I think I have everything lined up. It is now time for our section known as Death by Slides, formerly known as Death by PowerPoint, and uh, a long-running topic or title that I've called things in the past where somehow we started as technologists in our lives and we somehow grew to becoming a PowerPoint engineer where I'm building PowerPoint slides um, as my career. And uh, I'm now going to kill you by death by PowerPoint, but I'm not using PowerPoint anymore. I'm using Google Slides. So here we are in our section known as death by slides. Today's topic is a topic known as zero trust. Zero trust. So we're going to do a brief overview of what is zero trust today. So a little bit of what is this thing, a little bit of why should I care about it. Uh, this is my first time going over this topic. I actually started working on this topic um, quite a ways ago. Uh, in 2021, I started putting this um, this slide deck together. And uh, I paused it just because life got busy. And I literally finished it within the last 60 minutes. So here we go. Um, so this is not the way to do zero trust, this, top, this slide deck here. This is not the way. Uh, from what I've learned and experienced, there is not one right way or even one right definition on zero trust. Um, that what we have today uh, is my review and my assessment of three three credible organizations on zero trust and their recommendations 
along with my real-world commentary. Uh, we aren't going to get into the technical details of implementation today, uh, but you will have links to find deeper details from credible orgs. Uh, and who are these credible organizations, you might be asking? Uh, so, who did I refer to as I was learning? The expert sources here are the NSA, the uh, National Institute of Standards and Tech Technologies, oh my gosh, I'm losing my mind there, NIST, um, and Microsoft. Uh, why did I choose these three? Well, I was doing research in 2021 on, uh, on uh, Zero Trust, and I came to land on the fact that NSA had just published a thoughtful piece on this. Um, NIST had recently published a special publication, which you can see on the screen there, and Microsoft, um, the, Microsoft had some good topics on this as well. And it just so happened the shop that I was working with was a very strong Microsoft shop. So keep that in mind if you may be saying, but hey, I use Okta. Okta has really good guidance on this as well. I just happen to be using Microsoft technology. So I wanted to see what does Microsoft think about this. So just keep that in mind as we go through uh, the information here today. Uh, so we'll get through these details, but those are our trusted sources here, our credible sources our expert sources. So my friends, let's get into it. Uh, I'm going to have some slides here. Some of them are going to be wall of words. Some of them are going to be visual. I'm not the person who generally reads my slides, but I do have my own separate notes. And let's talk about some of the modern challenges. Most of the challenges I gathered here were actually from the NSA Zero Trust Security Model uh, in a section called Falling Behind. I found this really interesting. Uh, so today's IT landscape is empowered by a connected world that is more susceptible to malicious activity due to its connectedness, user diversity, wealth of devices, and globally distributed applications and services. Systems and users require simple and secure methods of connecting and interacting with organizational resources while also keeping malicious actors at bay. The increasing complexity of current and emerging cloud multi-cloud and hybrid network environments combined with the rapidly escalating and evolving nature of adversary threats has exposed the lack of effectiveness of traditional network cybersecurity defenses. Traditional perimeter-based network defenses with multiple layers of disjointed security technologies have proven themselves to be unable to meet the cybersecurity needs due to the current threat environment. Contemporary threat actors, from cyber criminals to nation-state actors, have become more persistent, more stealthy, and more subtle. Thus, they demonstrate an ability to penetrate network perimeter defenses with regularity. These threat actors, as well as insider threat actors, have succeeded in leveraging their access to endanger and inflict harm on national and economic security. Even the most skilled cybersecurity professionals are challenged when defending dispersed enterprise networks from ever more sophisticated cyber threats. Organizations need a better way to secure their infrastructure and provide a unified yet granular access control to data, services, applications, and infrastructure. Well, thank you, NSA, for that overview of our current challenges. And Microsoft has a take on it here, and here's a, a whole slew of visual from our friends over at Microsoft. Um, Data breaches cost a whole lot of money, like average data breach, four plus million dollars. Um, since September 2021, the number of password attacks have gone up from 579 
per second to over 1200 just massive growth um you can you can read all the things here i don't need to read it all here um these are kind of microsoft's arguments of why we need to do zero trust and why do we need to do it now things are getting more expensive attacks are happening more frequently the numbers of of concerns are raising at a rapid rapid rate And I somehow clicked on the wrong button. Okay, now we're back. Um, so thank you, Microsoft, for that visual. So some lessons learned um, over the last five years. One, improve user experience and productivity with zero trust. Zero trust enabled users to safely work from home, enable new devices from anywhere, hold secure meetings, and achieve new levels of productivity. Successful zero, zero trust deployments use all available telemetry to prioritize user experience and business enablement and more effectively delegate responsibilities to the right level of the organization. These organizations further empower users and admins with automatic protection and security insights that allow them to execute with confidence and agility. A zero trust approach empowers people to work productive productively and securely when, where, and how they want. Okay. Uh, number two, uh, recent nation state attacks demonstrate that attackers will exploit any vulnerability in our observations. And this is coming from Microsoft. In our observations, the organizations that fared best against such attacks had embraced zero trust strategies broadly. These organizations began with a full inventory and assessment of resources across on-premises and cloud environments, prioritizing protections based on their relative importance to the business. This was coupled with verifying and protecting all aspects of their digital estate, including all human and non-human identities, endpoint platforms, networks, microservices, virtual machines, and workloads. Implementing zero trust requires a comprehensive vision and plan prioritizing milestones based on the most important assets first. So these five bullets that I'm reading here come from Microsoft's recent learnings over the last just couple years of, of uh, zero trust and identity issues and network issues. Number three, integrate verification and controls across security pillars. Attackers exploit gaps exposed by siloed programs and processes to prevent incursions, end-to-end -end visibility and control access uh, the security estate is critical. Controlled access to the security estate is critical. Organizations with separate tools to monitor individual aspects like network, internet access, and internet triage will lack a complete view of their estate. Integrating controls and telemetry across security pillars enables organizations to apply unified policies and enforce them consistently, resulting in a more robust security policy. Unifying strategy and security policy with zero trust breaks down siloed IT teams and enable better visibility and protection across the IT stack. Number four is monitor your security posture with strong governance. Strong governance is directly linked to the performance of zero trust initiatives. Organizations with advanced strategies verify business security assertions by regularly validating technical security assertions like is this device registered or is that data confidential the best zero trust strategies are founded on governance models that ensure the integrity of data to drive continuous assessment and improvement 
Analyzing these productivity and security signals also helps evaluate security culture, identifying areas for improvement or best practices. Enforcing strong governance with a zero trust approach includes validating business assertions, assessing security posture, and understanding the impact of the security culture. And the fifth lesson learned that Microsoft mentions in their report here is automate to simplify and strengthen your security posture. Automation is critical to a robust and sustainable security program. The best zero trust deployments automate routine tasks like resource provisioning, access reviews, and attestation. These organizations use machine learning and AI in threat protection tactics like security automation and orchestration to defend themselves, enabling them to build back infrastructure quickly after an attack. Given the inundation of threat notifications and alerts hitting the SOC today, automation is critical to managing the digital environment at the speed and scale needed to keep up with today's attacks. A zero-trust approach prioritizes routine task automation, reducing manual efforts so security teams can focus on critical threats. Now, talking about the way forward, and this came from uh, a few different areas, but much of this I pulled from the uh, NSA's Zero Trust Security Model. All right, so a way forward uh, is focusing around modern cybersecurity strategy. By implementing a modern cybersecurity strategy that integrates visibility from multiple vantage points, makes risk-aware access decisions, and autom automates detection and response actions, network defenders will be much better in a much better position to secure sensitive data, systems, applications, and services. Zero trust is an assumed breach security model. Remember that assumed breach security model that is meant to guide cybersecurity architects integrators and implementers in integrating disparate but related cybersecurity capabilities into a cohesive engine for cybersecurity decision making. However, to be fully effective, zero trust principles need to permeate most aspects of the network and its operations ecosystem to minimize risk and enable robust and timely responses. Organizations that choose to migrate to a zero trust solution should fully embrace this security model and the mindset necessary for planning, resourcing, and operating under cybersecurity outcomes with a zero trust solution that a zero trust solution can deliver. So what is zero trust? I have definitions from all the players that we were just talking about here. And this is this goes back to my initial topic of um, there is no one definition. There is no one way. Um, it's an interesting thing. So I have what NIST says. I have what NSA says. I put some of the bullets here. I'm just going to read some of the notes that I gathered. I'll start with NIST, and then I'll finish up with the NSA notes that I gathered. And then we can think about comparisons and differences. So first, from uh, the NIST abstract, uh, zero trust is a term for the evolving set of cybersecurity paradigms that m move defenses from static network-based perimeters to focus on users, assets, and resources. A zero-trust architecture uses zero-trust principles to plan industrial and enterprise infrastructure and workflows. Zero-trust assumes there is no implicit trust granted to assets or user accounts based solely on their physical or network location or based on asset ownership. Authentication and authorization 
are discrete functions performed before a session to an enterprise resource uh, before a session to an enterprise resource is established. Zero trust is a is a response to n enterprise network trends that include remote users, bring your own device, and cloud-based assets that are not located within the enterprise-owned network boundary. Zero Trust focuses on protecting resources like assets, services, workflows, network accounts, etc., not network segments. As the network no longer, as the network location is no longer seen as the prime component to the security posture of the resource. This document contains an abstract definition of zero trust architecture and gives general uh, deployment models. Blah 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 blah. Okay, cool. Neat. Hey, welcome in. Welcome in. Okay, so what did the NSA have to say? So that was what NIST was saying on zero trust architecture. Uh, so from from NSA's perspective, let's hear their difference. So zero trust is a security model, a set of system design principles, and a coordinated cybersecurity and system management strategy based on an acknowledgement that threats exist both inside and outside traditional network boundaries. Zero, zero trust repeatedly questions the premise that users, devices, and network components should be implicitly trusted based on their location within the network. Zero Trust embeds comprehensive security monitoring, granular, dynamic, and risk-based access controls, and system security automation in a coordinated manner throughout all aspects of the infrastructure in order to focus specifically on protecting critical assets, like data, in real time with a dynamic threat environment. Uh, this data-centric security model allows the concept of least privilege access to be applied for every access decision where the answers to the questions of who, what, when, where, and how are critical for appropriately allowing or denying access to resources. NSA strongly recommends that the zero-trust security model is considered for critical networks to include the, the national security systems, the DOD networks, and uh, the defense industrial base systems. Integrating these pr principles within certain environments, especially within large enterprises, can become complicated. To address these challenges, NSA's developed additional guidance to organize, guide, and simply and simplify the zero-trust design approach. Whew, a lot of words, a lot of words. So we heard what NIST said, we heard what um, NSA has to say. They're not the same, but th there's a lot of similarities. The old network model, you know, put a firewall around the building and you're all good. Um, is long gone. Okay. Um, key things I think that stand out is identity is where the security <clears throat> boundary is, which is interesting because when I got into the world of information security or cybersecurity, when I got into this field in 2005, 2006, it was with an identity management, identity governance company. And um, I was actually doing implementations, um, going out to customer sites and implementing their product. And uh, one of the key things I would do with a with a kickoff was to talk about, okay, our, the concept of this is we want to determine who has who has access to what, where, when, why, and how. That was actually part of the presentation that when I first we started this company, I was employee number six. When I would first present this to our customers or potential customers, and uh, it was part of my re reoccurring spiel 
And it's kind of neat to just read what NSA says here because they were saying the words that I was saying in my presentation in 2006. So I have always thought that identity is key to the security boundary. Apparently, I think the rest of the world is catching up now that I'm realizing this and reading what is zero trust. Ah, a little sip of my hot coffee. All right. So we just had a, a friend just join us in chat. Ma Bouldemore. I'm saying your name wrong. I know I am, but hey, welcome. Thanks for joining us in the chat here. How are you? H hope you're having a good day. Going to move on here. Uh, so that was our what is zero trust. At least we got a little bit of a definition from a couple friends there. Thanks, NSA and NIST. We're going to move on to mindset shift. Mindset shift from uh, thoughts from NSA about adopting a zero trust mindset. So, Coordinated and aggressive system monitoring are critical in this new shift. System management and defensive operation capabilities are as well. Um, assuming all requests for critical resources and network traffic may be malicious. I'm going to repeat that note. Assume all requests for critical resources and all network traffic may be malicious. This is something we're going to continue to see. Assuming breach. Just assume we need to the zero trust model big part of the mind shift mindset shift is assume activity is bad <laughs> always assume it's bad now for those of us who have worked in cyber and worked in information security for a while um it's generally how we think anyways but it's now helping to get that mindset shift um wider than just us you're going to need it to be a whole lot wider than us uh, assuming all devices and infrastructure may be compromised. Just assume everything's compromised. Um, accepting that all access approvals to critical resources incur risk and be prepared to perform rapid damage assessment, controls, and recovery operations. So a little bit of a mindset shift there. To our friend in chat, well, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Uh, you say it's French. Is it, uh, are you, are, are you in France or are you in Canada? I, I'd love to know what your weather is in your part of the world. Cause I know I have some French Canadian friends who are really cold right now, really cold right now. Um, so continuing on here, guiding principles. Uh, and I've got some guiding principles from all three of our friends here from the NSA from Microsoft and from NIST. So I'm going to go through each of these here. Got a little bit of, a little bit for you to look at. NSA says, never trust, always verify. Assume breach and verify explicitly. That's their guiding principles. Microsoft's zero trust principles. There's three of them. Let's hear these three and notice similarities. One, verify explicitly. Always authenticate and authorize based on on all available data points, including user identity, location, device health, service, or workload, data classification, and anomalies. Number two from Microsoft is use least privileged access. Limit user access with just-in-time or just-enough access. I'm familiar with JIT, just-in-time, but I've never actually heard just-enough access before. Not as an acronym, but let me finish what Microsoft says here. Limit user access with just-in-time and just-enough access, risk-based adaptive policies, and data protection to protect both data and productivity. So this is cool for me reading this because I am thinking about when I got into identity uh, six, uh, 
was that 17 years ago, <laughs> I got into identity uh, security. And one of the things that I would say, and I still to this day say it, another one of the things when I was at that identity company, we're just getting it off the ground, was here's what I want your users to be able to do. I want you to have all the access to do your job, every bit of access you need to do your job, all of it. But I don't want you to have an ounce more than you need to do your job. So I don't, the, the model of least privilege, right? I want you to have every bit of access, but nothing more. So let's learn exactly what you need to do your job and nothing more. And users say, but just give me all the access. That way I don't have to think about it for the future. Like That's not the least privilege. That's most privilege, I guess. Um, and then we're going to come up with a model that when you need more access, that we can give it to you quickly. Uh, that sounds like not only just in time, but the just enough access is what I would, would preach. J J E-A, I've never used that acronym before today, but J-I-T I have. That's kind of cool. Okay, third bullet from Microsoft here says assume breach, which also the NSA said. Minimize blast radius for breaches and prevent lateral movement by segmenting access by network, user, devices, and application awareness. Verify all sessions are encrypted end-to-end Use analytics to get visibility, drive threat detection, and improve defenses. Okay, so I'm hearing NSA, Microsoft, kind of on the same page here. And it aligns very much with work I've done 17 years ago. So it's, it's a little bit mind-blowing to say, like, as people have really started to focus on identity as a security perimeter, I'm like, dude, I've been doing that for 17 years. I did not think I was a trendsetter. <laughs> I did not think I was an expert in this space. But, hey, look at that. Okay. I'm more just laughing at it uh, than anything else. Um, okay, NIST has something to say about this as well. NIST has it a little bit different in their special publication, 800-207. They have the seven tenets of zero trust. So they couldn't just stick with three. Here's what NIST has to say. They're seven tenets. They're not on the slide, but listen along. Number one, all data sources and computing services are considered resources. Two, all communication is secured regardless of network location. Three, access to individual enterprise resources is granted on a per-session basis. Four, access to resources is determined by dynamic policy. Five, the enterprise monitors and measures the integrity and security posture of all owned and associated assets. Six, all resource authentication and authorization are dynamically and strictly enforced before access is allowed. And finally, seven, the enterprise collects as much information as possible about the current state of assets, network infrastructure, and communication, and it uses it to improve its security posture. Okay, that's kind of different. <laughs> um, very cool tenets. Uh, it's just different than what um, the three principles um, that Microsoft and uh, NSA had. But hey, there we go. Uh, Mabul Damour, uh, just reading in chat here. Uh, in the U.S. currently from Cameroon and Africa. Well, welcome, welcome. Uh, also, I am also in the U.S. currently. Very cold. Okay, moving on. Those are our guiding principles. Let's talk about design concepts. I pulled this from the NSA document here. Um, so leverage zero trust design concepts when designing a zero trust solution. And there's four key concepts here. Um, define the mission outcomes. So derive the zero trust architecture from organization specific mission requirements that identify the critical data, 
Assets, Applications, and Services. Um, the acronym is DAAS. I've never seen this acronym before. Data, Assets, Applications, and Services. Okay, so remember that. It's not big D, little a, little a, big S, like data as a service, which is the first thing I think of. If I see D-A-A-S, I'm thinking data as a service, because I'm sure that will be a thing if it isn't already. But no, this acronym is data, assets, applications, services. Second bullet from NSA says architect from the inside out. First, focus on protecting critical DAS. Second, secure all paths to access them. I can't use DAS because the, the A and the A is as A in everything. Platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, software as a service, DAAS, data, assets, application services. It's going to drive me crazy. Uh, third bullet, determine who, what needs access to the data, assets, applications, and services to create access control policies. Create security policies and apply them consistently across all environments, your LAN, your WAN, your endpoints, your perimeter, mobile, etc. And finally, uh, the fourth bullet here, inspect and log all traffic before acting. Establish full visibility of all activity across all layers from endpoints in the network to enable analytics that can detect suspicious activity. All right, so design concepts. So you got to think about your mission outcomes. So think about your business. Think about the business you're trying to run. Where does data live? Um, where do you have stuff running? Architect from the inside out, not the outside in. I think that is kind of like flipping the model on its head from what we've learned years ago, which was the idea of put a firewall up on the outside to protect the inside. Um, so complete reverse on that. And then the third bullet, determining who needs access to what. Well, we've kind of been talking about that. And then the fourth bullet, uh, inspect all traffic. So there's, you know, your SIM and your SOC monitoring. Monitor everything before you allow it to happen. So that's interesting. Okay, I'm going to move on. I'm going to get into building into the organization. Six elements of zero trust into building this into the organization. I pulled this from Microsoft. So you have a, uh, a pretty visual there. And let me talk about what the six elements are according to Microsoft. Identities, devices, applications, data, infrastructure, and networks. We'll talk about identities. So whether they represent people, services, or IoT devices, define the zero trust control plane. When an identity attempts to access a resource, we need to verify that identity with strong authentication ensure access is compliant and typical for that identity and follows least privilege access pr principles. And identities is number one here. And I do believe identities is truly the number one thing when it comes to zero trust. We're going to focus on identities first. We're going to focus on everything, but we're focusing on, on identities first in this model. This is how I have thought of zero trust over the last few years. Number two, devices. Once an identity has been granted access to a resource, data can flow to a variety of different places from IoT de devices to smartphones, BYOD to partner managed devices, and on-premise workloads to cloud-hosted servers. This diversity creates a massive attack surface area requiring we monitor and enforce device health and compliance for secure access. So this is talking about your endpoints, like your devices and how to come up with a thoughtful strategy on every device. And so if I'm thinking about this for a second, real world scenario, right? If I, um, 
you know, when I think about devices, the easy button is just to say, let's get, you know, in the old days, our antivirus tool, or in the current days, let's get our endpoint security, my EDR tool deployed on all endpoints. And as I see many friends' environments, you know, they make sure everybody's Windows desktop or laptop or Mac uh, laptop uh, all have, you know, their endpoint security tool and some centralized tool monitoring for that. And they're like, cool, yo, bro, we're done. Um, some may even be thoughtful enough of saying, maybe I'll throw some um, endpoint uh, scanning tools in some of our like AWS servers, our hosted servers. Um, but then the question is like, yeah, but what about like your Kubernetes stuff? How are you monitoring? How are you monitoring your containers, man? Um, are you? What are you doing about your your you know stuff that lives on VMware? Are you you know what are you doing over there? So, um, and what are you doing about those personally owned iPhones and Android devices that are able to connect to email? Um, are you doing anything right? So, you know, there's that thought of, I think a lot of us have been kind of like turning a blind eye to devices where we say, yeah, yeah, well, we got devices covered, but we don't. I'm going to move on to the next item. Uh, applications. The third item is applications. So applications and APIs provide the interface by which data is consumed. They may be legacy on-premises, lift and shifted to cloud workloads, or modern SaaS applications. Controls and technologies should be applied to discover shadow IT, ensure appropriate in-app permissions, gate access based on real-time analytics, monitor for abnormal behavior, control of user actions and validate secure configuration options. Now, this is also interesting. Um, as I have seen in the last several years, many companies that I've worked with or worked close to have uh, have kind of gone to an approach of, uh, we're actually going to uh, allow shadow IT. We're gonna allow departments to bring in their own IT. I've seen this at a couple organizations where the, the model is allowing the departments to determine what technologies they want to bring in and so it's kind of like the yes we are now allowing shadow it which um i don't know how you do zero trust and allow that right um it's it, because someone's going to bring in their it and your security model your zero trust model is going to immediately block all of that by default so um you know, terrible user experience in there so there's again part of the mindset shift you need to bring up to your leadership moving on to the next one data uh, ultimately, security teams are focused on protecting data. Where possible, data should remain safe, even if it leaves a device's apps infrastructure and networks uh, and networks the organization controls. Data should be classified, labeled, and encrypted, and access restricted based on those attributes. That's so interesting, Microsoft. That that in this they're saying ultimately security teams are focused on uh, protecting data. Because I know some people who are who are security leaders and they say our job is to our our job is risk. Our job is risk identification and risk awareness. And you know, when I hear people say that, I'm like, well, that doesn't align with what Microsoft says here, which is security teams are focused on protecting data. I do know many security teams that are focused on protecting stuff and data being part of that stuff. So I'm not saying it's not not all true, but I do believe different security teams are thinking their job is different. And so you know, if you're following this model of you know, ultimately we're here we the security team is here to protect the data. Um, it's a very different than, hey, we the security team are here to advise you on how to protect the data. If we are actually here, if we are focused on protecting the data and we are actually you know, partially responsible or fully responsible on protecting the data. Again, there's a, there's a mindset shift just in that statement there. Moving on to infrastructure. 
infrastructure, whether on-premise services, cloud-based VMs, containers, microservices, represents a critical threat vector. Access for version configuration and JIT access to hardened defense use telemetry to detect attacks and anomalies and automatically block and flag risky behavior and take protective actions. Yeah, okay. You got a lot of infrastructure. It's all over the place. Um, you got to take it all into account. Like this is, this kind of goes back to the, the concept of, you know, your, your security overview of um, knowing where your, what your assets are and um, your, you know, all of your infrastructure cloud as well. Final item on this slide here is networks. Uh, and it states all data is ultimately accessed over network infrastructure. Networking controls can provide critical in-pipe controls to enhance visibility and help prevent attackers from moving laterally across the network. Networks should be segmented, including deeper in-network micro-segmentation and real-time threat protection, end-to-end -end encryption, monitoring, and analytics should be employed. So we are not saying get rid of network segmentation here. We are saying networks should be segmented and have much deeper segmentation. So uh, if you say, you know, our network's pretty flat, um, you need to do some work. Uh, if you're if you don't have kind of a model of, I've actually seen some people. I've been I've been in this role before. I'm like, well, I've got my you know my corporate network, and then I got all my different SaaS apps that we license, and they're all kind of separate networks. I'm like, so in some cases, you might actually be able to have a, a security perimeter by having a whole bunch of SaaS uh, applications, but you didn't really think about it. You didn't really plan for it. You didn't really kind of like build it into the organization. It's just kind of like you just kind of inherited it. Um, so I have. I have uh, been able to thwart some security incidents just because I was fortunate enough to have cloud applications that weren't inside my perimeter when bad bad actor did bad things internally. Well, there we go. Those are the six items of building into an organization. As we move on, Microsoft has this cool maturity model. I actually grabbed this slide, uh, this image, a while ago. And uh, I believe they've since updated it because I was actually in there earlier today. I was like, oh, things have changed. So I left this visual here, um, but I grabbed some of the notes from their newer content. And uh, let's get into it a little bit. So um, from Microsoft, where is your organization on its zero trust journey? This, this, this is me asking this. Like, where's, where's your organization on its zero trust journey? Um, ask yourself this. Ask yourself, ask yourself the questions that I have written down here to determine your state of maturity. And there, these bullets here on the slide kind of get you there. Um, so we're gonna talk about three tiers of maturity. So if you think about any maturity model you've ever looked at before, there's usually like a multiple steps of maturity. Three is a good number. Five starts to get a little bit big. Anything more than that's like, dude, that's too many. Are you are you at the early stages? Are you, you know, halfway there? Are you great, right? That's, that's three is good. So. We look at the traditional model or kind of like the getting started stages, like the first stage of maturity. I have three questions for you. One, are you reducing password risks with strong authentication methods like MFA and providing SSO access to cloud apps? Do you have MFA? Do you have SSO? I want to know a little bit further. Do you have MFA everywhere, every location, not just your corporate, but your your AWS environments, uh, your GCP environments, your Azure environments, your dev environments, your production environments, your test environments. You have MFA on all the things. 
And have you even taken it one step further? Have you put SSO on all those things? All right, question number two. Do you have visibility into device compliance, cloud environments, and logins to detect anomalous activity? So are you able to see all of your environment to see if uh, uh, your systems are meeting your own policies, uh, compliant with your own policies? Can you actually look at your... Um, your AWS, your Azure, your GCP, or whatever else, and see if the configurations are meeting um, your guidance or your uh, your requirements. Can you actually look into container workloads and see uh, where things are vulnerable, uh, where there are risks? Okay, third question. Yes, I know I have a lot of questions in every single question. Uh, third question. Are your networks segmented to prevent unlimited lateral movement inside the firewall perimeter? So have you put any network segmentation in place that if, or I should say when, bad guy or bad girl gets into your network, they are put in a box and they can't get out of that box? For example, bad guy comes into, uh, you know, let's say like they, they pop into... To, um, Jenkins. I'm going to use Jenkins as an example. They pop into your developer's Jenkins environment. Um, can you keep them locked into Jenkins so they can't pivot out of Jenkins and over to Jira? Uh, so they can't pivot out of Jira over into Slack? Just throwing some examples out there. Yeah, by the way, this is not advanced stuff. This is the just getting started stuff. Um, those are the three questions that I pulled and kind of put together in here from what Microsoft says in the just getting started phase. So let's go a little advanced. You, you, you've done those things. You're like, yeah, I got all that. I got, I'm, I've got a good story on all that, maybe a great story. Step two, like the, the middle step, Microsoft calls it advanced, but you know, have you made significant progress? I got three questions here for you. Uh, are you using real-time risk analytics to assess user behavior and device health to make smarter decisions? Uh, like tools like UEBA, UBA, User Behavior Analytics. And uh, I think of, you know, there are some really cool tools out there that do that. I will mention one that I've used in the past and recently, Rapid7. On I'm wearing Rapid7 on my t-shirt today. Um, Rapid7's SIM tool has really cool user behavior analytics built into it. CrowdStrike has some cool user behavior analytics into some of their tools as well. There's a lot of tools out there to do this. Um, are you using, one, do you have it? Two, are you using it um, to actually monitor user behavior? Can you see which users are your, are, are acting uh, with weird behaviors or unusual behaviors or malicious behaviors? Are, you know, can you find a way to go reach out to your users and say, hey, uh, what's going on? What are, you do, what are you doing? Hey, dude, what are you, what are you doing? Um, yeah, that. Uh, device health. Can you see how healthy your devices are? Are they patched? Are they secured? Are all the ports shut off? You know, 443, the only thing enabled, nothing else. Question number two, in my myriad of questions that I just call one question. Question number two, under the advanced section of making significant progress. Can you correlate security signals across multiple pillars to detect advanced threats and quickly take action? So are you, are you able to pull information, um, get different signals from you know, your your cloud environment um, from maybe a Windows server over here. And are you able to look at that information and, and 
pull two pieces of interesting information that in themselves may not be a security incident. They might just be some type of network event. And you can correlate those, say, wait, something isn't right here. Right? Um, traditionally, strong SIM tools are really good for doing things like that. Okay, third question. Are you proactively finding and fixing vulnerabilities from misconfigurations and missing patches to reduce threat vectors, right? Do you have a vulnerability management tool is where I'll start. And if yes, you know, do you have your Rapid7, your Tenable, your Qualys? Um, CrowdStrike has a vulnerability management tool built into their capabilities. Like there's a lot of them out there, right? Um, do you have a vulnerability management tool? Yes. Um, do you have it deployed? Yes. But do you have it deployed everywhere? Like if you can't see the vulnerabilities on 100% of your assets, and I don't just mean your laptops and your servers, but like you know your, your AWS Linux environments, your containerized servers, which uh, are being deployed likely with vulnerabilities, can you see your vulnerabilities and are you doing something about it? Are you, do you have a plan to patch your vulnerabilities? Are you taking it seriously? Do you have real SLAs and are you following them or service level? Uh, service level agreements or service level, uh, what's the SLO? What's the O? I always forget what the O stands for. People started to drop the A and move it to an O. Um, objectives, service level objectives. We want to we patch our critical vulnerabilities within 24 hours, but we don't. So we'll call it a, an objective versus an agreement. Okay, those are the three questions I had for you for advanced. Uh, following this Microsoft model, uh, the yeah, right above me here is the optimal section here. Um, the most mature stage. So this is, you know, the third level of maturity here. I have three questions for you on this. Um, are you able to dynamically enforce policies after access has been granted? After access has been granted to protect against violations. Are you able to dynamically enforce policies? Do you have policies, and I mean like technical policies, that automatically block? Do you have auto blocking in your... Um, EDR tool? Do you have auto-blocking in your um, cloud security posture management tool? For example, you know, someone decides I'm going to make a public S3 bucket. People are still doing that, even though they know they shouldn't. Even though AWS changed the default, people still make public S3 buckets and put data in them. Do you have something blocking that from happening? Like an, a policy that, you know, an engineer goes and deploys a public S3 bucket and you have a tool that just says, Nope, I shut it off automatically, and then I notified the security team who's going to reach out to the engineer and say, hey, uh, dude, what are you doing? What, why'd you do that? Let's talk about it. Uh, second question, is your environment protected using automated threat detection and response across security pillars to react more quickly to advanced threats? Um, yeah, what are you doing for threat detection? You know, again, these types of things can be rolled into your cool EDR tools, NDR tools, etc. XDR tools. Third question. Are you analyzing productivity and security signals to help drive user experience optimization through self-healing <clears throat> and actionable insights? I think I need to dig a little bit deeper into thoughts around this one here. But key things I hear as I'm reading this. Um, drive user experience. Whoa, security and user experience in one sentence? I don't think that's I don't think that's a, that's not like peanut butter and chocolate. They, they don't generally go together. Security and user experience. What a, what a thought. I would love the thought of security and user experience all in one. 
um, self-healing and actionable insights. So, you know, do you have advanced tooling that can fix problems for users so users don't have to think about it? Security and user experience. Whoa. I'm moving on, folks. That's what Microsoft says about the maturity model. Um, it goes into a lot more detail um, around uh, six, uh, eight different areas. Maybe I'll just I'll touch on this a little bit because I think it, it's worthwhile. I'd love to kind of like plant the seed here. So let me get into it a little bit. Um, again, it's got the three different approaches, kind of like the maturity model of like getting started, getting mature, and really mature, or they call the traditional advanced optimal. I, I like the idea of just getting started. Uh, we're halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. <laughs> we made it there. So identities first, uh, getting started. Um, you get some stuff on screen here. I grabbed some things from the updated Microsoft guide. Um, they have uh, basically three uh, three bullets to think of from getting started from identity. Authentication using weak credentials. Um, do, do you have... Do you have an authentication using weak credentials such as password, right? Is that something you have in place? Do you have passwords everywhere? Um, is it is it only passwords, right? Do you not have MFA? Um, cloud identity feder federates with on-premise system and some apps connected with a cloud identity provider. So um, are you using on-prem identity system? Are you using a cloud identity system? Are they federated? Are they working together? Third, Manual provisioning, governance, and limited visibility into risk. Are you, you know, provi provisioning users manually? Like we create users when someone leaves the company, we manually offboard them. Um, you know, that's kind of the early stages of identity. Uh, as we start to get more advanced, authentication using strong authentication, such as MFA. Have you deployed MFA? And I think deploying MFA is one thing. But I think you should have a project called MFA All the Things. You, if you know me at any place I've ever worked, that's usually what I use, and I use the All the Things image, MFA All the Things. Um, sure, there's exceptions, but uh, MFA All the Things. Um, second bullet, most apps are federated with cloud identity for authentication, authorization, provisioning, and deprovisioning. So you're starting to say, hey, most of the applications you have in your environment, ooh, that's a good starting point. How, how many applications do you have? If you're, if, if I was going to say most applications are federated, you should know how many apps you can say, so you can say most, right? That's actually a great example. What happens if you have an organization that has 583 applications that are being used in your environment? Do you know you have 583? Do you have a spreadsheet that tells you that? Um, or do you actually really have no clue how many applications are, are in place? So, First of all, know how many applications you have, and then are they being federated with your, your identity system? Uh, second bullet here under advanced identities, visibility into identity and session risk. So do you have any vis visibility into identity risk, session risk? You know, are you just, do you, do you have anything that's given you any type of um, identity warnings or concerns, again, user behavior? All right, and then the optimal under identity, authentication using passwordless and phishing resistant method methods so so we there's steps beyond mfa and sso which is passwordless have you deployed passwordless anywhere and if so have you started to deploy it everywhere and uh you, know, you start to get to the point where um are you able to deploy phishing resistant methods for example um uh hardware tokens um yubikeys uh second bullet 
All apps are modern and federated with cloud identity for authentication, authorization, provisioning, and deprovisioning. So all apps are now federated. Everything's under your SSO. Um, finally, automated access re reviews ensure proper management of group uh, memberships, access to apps, enroll assignments. So access reviews, we haven't talked about that at all before this. Um, if you're doing anything from a compliance perspective, you likely need to do access reviews, um, and a lot of people do them on spreadsheets. Um, but have you actually taken your access review capability and put some automations in there where access reviews will automatically, you know, after a system is reviewed on a quarterly basis by the system owner, it says, hey, this person no longer needs access. Will that access review, it's not just an, a spreadsheet, but the access review um, results automatically take away that person's access. This is the stuff when we talk about super advanced or optimal. All right, endpoints, devices. Um, three categories here as well, like just getting started, uh, you know, getting moving along or advanced and then optimal. Um, again, pulling this right from Microsoft's thoughts here. Um, I'm thinking I'll just do two bullets on each of these because it, we're getting long in time here. But first off, um, of just getting started with your endpoints, your devices, um, on-premises management using basic endpoint protection. Do you have any type of um, endpoint protection, like you know AV type tools, uh, EDR type tools, or, or at least something installed? Do you have Microsoft Defender up and running? Um, bullet number two: configuration settings managed with group policy. Are you using group policies um, to manage you know basic configurations? Uh, limited visibility into compliance. Do you have some visibility into your systems complying? Um, other parts of devices, we get a little bit more advanced in the advanced section. Um, do you have an MDM in place, mobile device management or mobile app management? Um, keeping an eye on your laptops and your smartphones, whether they're personally owned or company owned. Um, do you actually have, you know, an EDR with the DR part rolled on? Not just, a, not just an endpoint security tool, but the detection and response capabilities built in, um, including you know what happens when you detect an incident and uh, you may have a breach is there uh, breach monitoring post breach monitoring basic automation of remediation put in place there you know are you automatically uh, blocking anything we'll go to the op the optimal state here the fully mature state are you able to see your device health the um, anti-malware status your security constantly monitored and validated? Are you ha do you have 24 by 7 monitoring and validation of your devices? Um, is your endpoint protection and your EDR and your threat and vulnerability management um, posture all in place? Do you have you know it integrated with your EDR or your XDR solutions? Those types of things. Okay, looking into applications quickly. Uh, we'll, we'll start from low maturity, medium, and high again. You know, from a low maturity perspective. Um, do you know what your shadow IT risk looks like? Do you know what your critical apps are? Um, do you have uh, do you have some cloud apps that users are using? Right, you know, kind of low maturity as we start to get a little bit more mature. Um, do you have on-premise apps that are internet facing? Are your cloud apps now configured for SSO? And as we get a whole lot more mature. Um, are all of your access are all your applications using a least privilege model? Do you have regular verification to ensure that? Do you make sure are all your applications designed with kind of a risk-based access so that dynamic control so you can use an application um, in certain locations? Um, 
do you have monitoring for all of your applications? You know, how are you monitoring your Salesforce applications? How are you monitoring NetSuite? Um, how are you monitoring Jira Cloud? How's your security team monitoring those tools? Are you monitoring those tools? And you may say, well, I don't know how. You can't monitoring those tools. And that's where you need to look at CSPM or SSPM, SaaS security posture management tools, cloud security posture management tools. Um, more more C SSPM and CASB for your, you know, how do I do Salesforce monitoring? How do I do Slack monitoring? How do I do Jira Cloud monitoring, et cetera? I'm moving on. Um, there's a whole another slide for infrastructure network and data I'll put it up here for a second just to kind of get you get you started with what these are and there's actually two other categories which I won't even um, put on a slide today uh, we'll, we'll talk about those in a moment but you know think about infrastructure think about the different levels of maturity from an infrastructure perspective from a network perspective and from a data perspective right from an infrastructure perspective um, are you managing permissions you know kind of like the just getting started phase to you know, getting a little bit more mature, um, are your workloads monitored and alerted for abnormal behavior? And the word workloads, if that's kind of a new word to you, that's talking about your container stuff in in most cases. Um, you know, to the more mature infrastructure, um, are unauthorized deployments of infrastructure blocked and alert triggered? Right. For example, if somebody decides I'm going to run, I'm going to roll out a Kubernetes container without ever checking with security and getting it approved do you have a, that automatically blocked you know it's someone who says oh, i'm going to go roll out an s3 uh, bucket and uh, has never got something approved um, you know reviewed and approved do you have an auto block rule put in place like that's the kind of the infrastructure piece network uh, a couple examples from network in the three levels of maturity you know do you have again permissions but they're all manu manually managed right early network everything's kind of manually done as we get a little bit more mature, um, you know, do you have some policy in place for managing um, your network? And I mean, not just written policy, written policy is a starting point, but technical and policy policy, you know, do you have your Azure AD um, and with technical controls in place? Do you have your Okta with technical controls in place? Um, as we get to m the more advanced state from a network perspective, do you have adaptive access control in place? Right, I mean adaptive, like you know, this user um, is uh, you know in the People's Republic of Korea today. Oh, I'm not going to give them access, um, or this user uh, you know needs this type of access, and uh, I'm going to uh, you know automatically grant them access because they need access to this system, but they don't normally have access in place. So, do you have controls in place that can actually grant someone access when they need it quickly, and then take that access away? There's things that are built right into Azure AD for your admin users where you actually don't have many admin users at all. In fact, you just elevate privileges when people need them and then you take those privileges away. There's a lot of direction around that as well. Uh, last section here is on data. Same kind of concept, like a whole bunch of things to think about, you know, as we just get started with data, um, you know, data security kind of rule based. And you have some some keyword methods that are used to discover and classify sensitive data across some locations, apps, and services. So I'm asking you the question: Are you doing any type of data classification? Are you you know are you able to discover your da data and classify which ones have sensitive data? Just that's a starting point. So we get a little bit more mature. Are you doing continual discovery and uh, in correlation? of signals using machine learning to identify data exfil risks. So do you have some tool in place that is monitoring for um, potential data exfil from you know, 
Maybe someone who left the company and decided, I'm going to download all the sales files. That's a real thing. If you have something in place that's monitoring for that. You know, as we get um, a whole lot more advanced, obviously it, it continues to grow from there. There are two other areas I don't even have on the slide here. Um, that Microsoft most recently added in. I won't even cover them today due to time, but they include threat protection maturity and policy enforcement maturity. So at a high level, threat protection uh, maturity includes antivirus, EDR, XDR, and SIM. Kind of touched on that before, but just at a high level, like that's a whole new section. And then the policy enforcement uh, maturity piece includes more technical enforcements and, and more access controls. So there's a whole lot more here. You can grab it from Microsoft's guide to uh, zero trust. So you can kind of like build out your own playbook of your maturity model if you choose to use the, the Microsoft model. I'm going to take a quick sip of coffee after all of those words, and then we're going to continue on here. hope everyone's having a good Friday. And I thank you for those who are joining in real time on Twitch. If you have any questions, feel free to throw them into chat, any comments, or just want to say hi. I'll be sure to say hi back. I assure you of that. As we are talking about Zero Trust, a brief overview of Zero Trust through Death by Slides, we've got a little bit more to go here uh, before we wrap up this section. My friends, I'm ready to get back at it. So as our next section here, as we are rounding the bend on our intro to Zero Trust is not without a risk to operations. And from the Microsoft guidance, uh, Microsoft states, with the pervasive need for Zero Trust concepts to be applied throughout the environment, scalability of the capabilities is essential. Access control decisions that may have only occurred once for each access previously will now be performed continuously as access to the resources used, requiring a robust infrastructure for making, enforcing, and then logging these access decisions. In addition, elements of the network that previously were not part of access control decisions may become essential elements whose reliability and consistent use are required such as data tags and additional network sensors. Persistent adherence to the mindset and the application of the zero trust security model over time is also a key requirement. Administrators and defenders may become fatigued with constantly applying default deny security policies and always assuming a breach is occurring. But if the zero trust approach falters, then its cybersecurity benefits become significantly degraded or eliminated. There's actually a lot of different risks um, through some bullets on the screen. Just walk through what Microsoft kind of highlights as a concern there. Um, let's talk about the effectiveness here. And some of this also comes from um, the Microsoft's uh, report on zero trust. When implementing zero trust in enterprise networks, several challenges may arise. Hold on one second here. There we go. Okay. Yeah, so in, in the effectiveness slide here, sorry, I was re literally rereading the last slide. Um, in the effectiveness slide here, um, Microsoft's uh, we're talking about, you know, being fully effective to minimize risk, enable robust, timely response. You need zero trust principles and concepts to permeate most aspects of the network. So really the thought is you're not just applying zero trust on your Azure AD. You're not just applying zero trust on Okta. You have to think about your entire environment. So it is, again, 
I don't know why the slide just moved. I didn't tell it to move. Um, but you need to be thinking about your entire network. Um, and a real key piece here, the second, the second uh, line here on the slide, you need to talk to your CEO, right? You need to go all the way to the top leadership. So this is for, you know, I'm now talking to the CISO uh, audience here. You need to go talk to most likely your boss and your boss's boss, because if you're a CISO, you're probably, you probably have a little C in your reporting to someone else and your boss's boss is a CEO. But you need that support all the way at the top. You need your CEO to buy in on this concept because you really truly need to apply it everywhere. Um, and that's why bringing zero trust in as a, a whole new design and a whole mind, mind shift set is really important. So this is something you want to take either this presentation or some form of this presentation at an executive level and bring it up to the top. This presentation would be way too deep for your for your CEO, but you want to bring bring part of the concept of zero trust and get that support all the way from the CEO all the way down to all of your operators. You need people to really understand that this is a company-wide initiative and not just one cool little thing your IT team or your identity team or your security team wants to work on. It's not a cute initiative. It's not cute. It's big, big. Um, one example of an attack, I pulled this from the NSA guide. There's actually a few examples of attacks, but I figured I'd throw one in here uh, while we started to round the bend here and wrap things up. I'd like to see some either real-world examples or, or theoretical real-world examples. So you get a little visual here. Let me read some of the content here. Uh, remote exploitation or insider threat is what we're looking at here. Uh, in this example, a malicious cyber actor compromises a user's device through an internet-based mobile code exploit, or the actor is an inside authorized user with malicious intentions. In a typical non-zero trust scenario, the actor uses the user's credentials, enumerates the network, escalates privileges, and moves laterally through the network to compromise vast stores of data and ultimately persist. In a zero-trust network, the compromised user credentials and the device are already assumed to be malicious until proven otherwise. And the network is segmented, limiting both enumeration and lateral movement opportunities, while the malicious actor can authenticate as both the user... Hold on, I lost my spot here. Um, while the malicious actor can authenticate as both the user and the device... Access to data will be limited based on security policy, user role, and the user and device attributes. In a mature zero-trust environment, data encryption and digital rights management may offer additional protections by limiting which data can be accessed and actions that can be taken with the sensitive data, even if access was allowed. Further, analytic capabilities continuously monitor for anomalous activity in accounts, devices, and network activity and data access. While a level of compromise occurs in this scenario, damage is limited and the time for defensive systems to detect and initiate appropriate mitigating responses is greatly reduced. Whew, a lot of words. I'm going to come back and think about that one later on. But wanted to bring something in here to just talk about how could a bad guy do a bad thing? And um, do you have some examples of it? And NSA had two examples uh, in their article, in their document. And in fact, I'm going to bring the examples up to the screen here of 
the resources that I used to put this together. So first, uh, you have these links here. Um, they will be in the show notes as well. So when I post uh, this live, uh, these links will be in the show notes. Uh, so we've got the NSA embracing a zero trust security model. Uh, we have the NIST special publication 800-207. And we have the Microsoft zero trust maturity model as well. And we did it. We did it. We got through this. Um, so the um, zero trust, I grabbed some notes here at the end. Uh, from Microsoft here. Zero Trust is an Im is imperative for business, technology, and security teams working to protect everything as it is and as it could be. It is an ongoing journey for security professionals, but getting started begins with simple first steps, a continuing sense of urgency, and continuous iterative improvements. Beyond the lessons and trends covered in this overview, the technical guide and resources on a pre on the previous slide, the, the links I just had previously, uh, can help your teams start or advance your zero trust journey. I believe that using any one of these guides, uh, the NIST guide, the NSA guide, or the Microsoft guide, are fine to get started and can help you get mature. Um, Okta also has their guide that aligns with their tools and recommendation approaches. The only reason I used Microsoft and didn't use Okta, um, when I started putting this slide deck together, I was closely aligned with a Microsoft shop. If I had put the slide deck together a couple years before that, I was closely aligned with an Okta shop. So um, that's, that's why I was looking at Microsoft stuff when, um, when I put this together. But Okta also has a full, thoughtful guide, um, you know, high-level overview, but also I think they have a deep dive on... on uh, zero trust um hopefully as deep as we we covered today uh so i thought it was good information i'm glad you joined um our death by slides today i think the thing that's most interesting uh for me on this is i started this putting this presentation together in 2021 you may have noticed that by some of the links uh were dated 2021 i started putting this together in 2021 when i i wanted to heavily educate myself on zero trust and then i paused it uh, just because life got busy and I literally finished this presentation uh, 60 minutes before we went live today. So a lot of the content on here was my first time reading through it. Uh, so I love bringing things that I'm as I am learning them, I'm sharing them with you. And uh, if you find something interesting, very cool. Um, a couple notes I put on the bottom of the slide here. You know, if you can always reach out to me at these places, um, you get links to... Uh, all of the previous shows at cybersecuritygrowth.com slash blog. That'll get you all of the articles I've ever written, all of the webinars I've ever been on, and all the podcasts and webcasts um, that I've published. But we're not done yet. We're just done with Death by Slides for today, which I know is the meat of this show. And I appreciate the thank you in chat. Maboul d'amour. I'm going to go look that up. My French is terrible, but I'm going to look it up after this. As we're winding down, we finished our death by slides. As I mentioned, when I run this show, I run it in three segments. We start with a little bit of news up front. We have our deep death by slide segment, and then we wrap up with what you've been listening to, what you're listening to. And I do this because I cannot go a single conversation without talking music, and I'm sure you can tell by the things surrounding me. I'm a big old music nerd. Um, 
I'm a music collector, I'm a, I'm a player, I'm a performer, I'm even a songwriter. Um, and in fact, I even have a whole other thing here on Twitch where I stream live music, where I perform music under the name Music by SV. Music by SV on Twitch. I've been doing that for a couple years now. And uh, you can follow me over there if you want to get a whole different view. Um, but what have I been listening to? I'll give you an update, and I'd love to hear in chat, what have you been listening to this week? Uh, so uh, last night I saw G-Love and Donovan Frankenrider in concert last night. G-Love of G-Love and Special Sauce fame, I guess, right? It was kind of popular at least in parts of the U.S. of the mid and late 1990s, and Donovan Frankenrider, kind of up and coming, uh, but well known, I think, in that small group. They're you know two. They're two different artists that kind of have a similar, um, similar sound, and they're friends with Jack Johnson, who's a very large artist. Um, they both have their own spin on the blues. G Love is more kind of blues meets hip hop. Uh, Donovan Frankenrider is more kind of a laid back blues meets rock. And anyways, they're on tour together. And I thought it was going to be one, you know, one artist performs, and then once they get off the stage, the other artist comes on and does their show, like most concerts. But no, they performed their entire concert together as one band. Um, and then they brought with them a great bass player and a great drummer and just put on a nice show. It's a relatively small place, too, so nice to be at a show with less than a thousand people at it, but it sold out. It was great. So I've been listening to G Love and Special Sauce lately. A couple songs that jump out to me. Cold Beverages. I Like Cold Beverages by G Love. And Baby's Got Sauce. Those were his sort of hits in the 90s. Um, Donovan Frankenrider, he's got, a, he's got a pretty sizable hit with a song called Free. You can find them on all of the streaming places, so that's what I've been listening to. Um, and then a new original song of my own was just released this week from my band Octavate. I the band Octavate, uh, and I do some of that on my, on my music live stream, but we released a song this week called Hold My Drink, so feel free to go over to wherever you listen to music, whether it's Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Deezer, Tidal, whatever, search Octa, O-C-T-A, Octavate, and uh, look for Hold My Drink, and we released a new song this week, that's what I've been listening to. Abul Damore says in chat, got back into K-pop. Uh, you know, I had um, on my on my music live stream, I had uh, some people, like one or two, two people very specific, that every time we get together, they're requesting K-pop songs, and so I'm listening to them for the first time and trying to figure out how do I help or how do I perform over these songs. I'm learning to, learning them and. Um, and uh, I, I then realized, like, I really am, am enjoying all of this different K-pop that I'm learning. You got introduced by friends some years ago. Now you're like, it's funny. It's very similar uh, to my situation. I've got people who join on my Music by SV live stream. And always, if, if one of these two people are in the stream, we're always getting a handful of K-pop requests. And I generally allow my regular viewers to, uh, uh, to request anything they want outside of my regular playlist so i get to learn lots of things so i hear you i understand the k-pop anyways what a great week we've had uh i i almost wasn't able to have the show today for a couple reasons the main reason was i i did not have a completed topic <laughs> uh for covering uh but we we got one i got it done with 60 minutes to spare uh so hey thank you uh for listening thank you for joining um, I'm Sean Valley. I'm the creator of this show and the creator of this music here on Cybersecurity Growth. 
Uh, you can find more about me at cybersecuritygrowth.com and uh, the blogs, cybersecuritygrowth.com slash blog. You can find me on all the social places under at Sean Valley or at Cybersecurity Growth. Uh, if you do like the show, please tell your friends. If you hate it, tell your adversaries. Uh, please do me a favor, like and subscribe to the show. Leave five stars and a review under either YouTube or wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, and you can leave a review like this. Hey, great show. I learned something new about zero trust today, and now it will help me in my cybersecurity career. Something like that would be great. Uh, this week, we covered zero trust, a brief interview, a brief, in, a brief overview of zero trust. Uh, this week, I was really excited to jump through that. And I'm sure months down the road, I'll iterate on it. And we'll do it again. But this was, um, uh, this was great for me. I actually found valuable info that I will use moving forward. I've used some of it. I will use more. Uh, plans for next week. Well, I'm looking to possibly finish up some research on a risk management topic, a security risk management topic that I've been working on. Um, I'm also working on a password manager show with a guest thinking about LastPass and all their problems as of late and people moving off of LastPass. So uh, I may be working on bringing in, bringing in a guest and doing a show on password managers and migration. I may also, uh, I've been thinking about doing a throwback to my days of my Android hacking days and pulling out some of my Android forensics material and revisiting it. So I'll probably do one of those topics next week. Probably one of those topics. Probably the more says in chat. Loved it. I researched, I researched Zero Trust some months ago and it really helped consolidate what I learned. Yeah, it's, it's, this is a huge topic. And that's why I thought it was great to cover it there it's not this is not lightweight in fact we spent an hour and a half and truthfully we scratched the surface and we realized like oh this is it's you know it became a cool buzzword but the truth is pick up pick one of these types of models i don't want to call it a framework because they're not officially frameworks yet but pick one of these models and start building out your plan for the future well i'm here live weekly on Twitch, Fridays at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and 3.30 p.m. GMT, and uh, in your pod feeds a few days later. I want to thank you for joining me live. I want to thank you for joining me on the web, on the video, on the podcast later. Hope you all have a great Friday, a great weekend, and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now, everyone.